Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to our Beltway Series edition of the Dogcast. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and I wish I had a cooler name like Jack Burdett Shuck III. Joining me on the podcast this week is one of the hosts of Masson All Access, Bobby Blanco. How are you doing, Bobby? Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. Hope you're uh, enjoying your weekend and a national sweep over the Marlins. Yeah, it was um, not as simple as it looked, even though they came out with three wins. Hey, a W's a W. So you get three of them, that counts. Um, Nationals had a good road trip, and uh, they're now they're only one game back at the NL East, and um, things are looking well. They're having a fantastic May, so hopefully they carry off up, up into Baltimore. Yeah, I think they've got the best record in MLB in May, 17-6, and six, if I remember. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. See? see, mm-hmm. Everyone was panicking at the end of April, and there's so much baseball left to play, um, and they had a great May. Hopefully they can keep it going. Things are, things are finally starting to come together, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to have a quick look back at the Marlins series. They won 9-5 on Friday, scoring seven late to give Max Scherzer the win, even though he didn't pitch his best. 4-1 win on Saturday, and then obviously the 5-2 win today. So I don't know how much of the series you watched, but did anyone stand out to you for the Nationals? It's kind of hard to pick one particular person. Like we just said, they you just won three in a row. I mean, I felt like the team played really well. Um, off the top of my head, Michael A. Taylor's had a pretty solid week. I mean, he was batting pretty low. And Dave Martinez had mentioned, you know, he's focusing more on trying to get balls in the strike zone and more patience at the plate. And I think we've seen that um, over the past couple of days. And um, so Taylor had a good week. Uh, Trey Turner had a good week. Bryce Harper, he's been struggling, but he had those two clutch RBIs for some insurance runs on Friday. Um, and he obviously the monster home run on Sunday in the finale against the Marlins. Um you know, everyone kind of played well top to bottom. If if you almost want to ask if the better question might be who didn't have a good weekend. And like you said, Max Scherzer kind of struggled on Friday night, but he still was able to get the win. Um, and, you know, he battles for you. You know you're going to get that from Max. Um, so it was, you know, it's hard to pick one particular player when it's a whole team effort. Uh, the bullpen played uh, pitched really well this weekend too. Um, and Tanner Roark was phenomenal on Saturday. I mean, it's hard to pick one particular player. Um, but I'm gonna go with Michael Ed Taylor as was a guy just because he's kind of a guy who really needed it, needed it the most, and he's been coming on the past week or so. Yeah, he's definitely been uh, very hot at the plate, six for twenty-two with a home run and four RBI. And um, yeah, it was kind of that walk off the other night that kind of got him started um, back at home, and uh, so that's a that's always a good way to get going and get the bat swinging. Yeah, and I think from Taylor, you don't need him to be kind of the catalyst of the offense. You just need him to bat six or seven, be good enough because he plays that good a center field defense. Yeah, you can't have him batting around 200. You know, he needs to be a little higher than that. But you're right, he doesn't need to carry the the, the workload. He, he's got a sneaky pop. Actually, it's not that sneaky anymore. I mean, we know he can launch the ball out of the yard. His defense is, you know, is an 80. He can fly in center field. And um, with Adam Eaton still out, you know, he's kind of taken on that mantle and, um, you know, being the go-to guy in the center field for defense. So, yeah, Taylor's been uh, – right. you're right. You don't, you don't need him to carry the lineup with guys like Harper, Rendon, um, hopefully when you get Zim and Murphy back, all those guys. But uh, it will be nice to him to kind of get going, hit some long balls, hit a little bit closer to 300. Um, and, yeah, that's what the Nationals would like to see from him along with that great defense. Yeah, definitely. 
Uh, and I I wanted to pick out Tanner Roark, who probably had the best pitching performance of the weekend for the Nationals. Seven innings, four hits, one run. Uh, and he's really turned it around of late. I did my um, grades a few week, weeks ago, gave him a C, and he's been lights out ever since. In his last five starts, he's 2-6-2 two, two ERA with 30 strikeouts as well, which is something new for Tanner. Um, is he kind of the epitome of the success of the rotation, I guess? Yeah, I mean, he's like you said, he's been coming around. I mean, he's off to a slow start. Last year was kind of a weird year for Tanner. Um, people he kind of burned out, I thought. Uh, you know, he'll never say it, and people won't point to it. But I always thought him pitching in the World Baseball Classic was kind of slowed him down last year. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have. I think that you've got to play for your country. And obviously, they won the gold medal. Um, you know, that's not a bad thing. But I, I just think that's just what happened. And um, he got a full regular spring training in this year. Um, working out the kinks and um yeah he's on a roll and i mean yesterday was just a classic tanner roark you know it's a quality start better you know seven innings only one run and you're right his strikeouts are up which is unusual for him but um uh, anytime he can get you six or seven innings with three earned earned runs or less that's a classic tanner roark outing for you um and i think the nationals will take that every fifth day hands down i mean because when you got guys like strasburg and, and scherzer ahead of a mangio um, you know, he doesn't need to be those guys. He just needs to be the solid Tanner Roark that we've known. Um, we had those a couple years back when he was going back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen. That kind of maybe threw him off, but he's kind of now slotting way more comfortable as the full-time starter. And, uh, yeah, we're seeing a Tanner Roark that we knew from back, back in 2016 when we had a phenomenal year. And um, I think he's kind of picking up the pace. Yeah, I think if you were to pick out to a top performance from this weekend, I you got to give it to Tanner from Saturday's performance. That was just – that was perfect. That was a great, a great way to to get that W and for, and for Tanner's confidence in himself. Yeah, definitely. And I think in terms of the rotation as a whole, like you said, they've got Scherzer, Strasburg. And then after that, you can afford to have Gio, Tanner uh, having down years and then Helixson doing well. Well, I say down years. They're having pretty good years for them. And having them as three and four in the rotation just goes to speak to the strength. The only rotation that you can say is better than them at the moment is Houston. Yeah, yeah. And um, like I've... I mean, my, my thing with this Nationals rotation, you got Max, you got Steven, you have Gio. You know you can get it from Gio. He's been great um, starting last year. You know, he's going to give you probably six, maybe the occasional seven innings, and every once in a while, even more rarely, like eight. Uh, but usually about six innings, probably around the same. A quality start is basically what you want from Gio. And he's so good. He leads the NL in, in uh opponent's batting average with runners in scoring position. He's so good. He's That's what the big transition for Gio was from uh, 16 to, to last year was he's getting – yes, he'll let guys on base, but he's going to keep them there. He's going to strand them, and um, that's what we're seeing this year too. Um, and then same thing with – we just talked about Tanner. And, and Jeremy Hellickson, my whole thing with the fifth rotation spot with this with this team is, hey, just don't lose the game for us. You know, Go out there, give us a your all. Hopefully you can give us about six, and then we can hit off to the bullpen because ideally you know, for the first two days of that five-day rotation – you don't need your bullpen for the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth innings because Max and Steven usually get you seven, maybe eight. Um, so, yeah, just for Jeremy Hellickson, it's kind of, hey, keep us in the game. Hopefully our offense can bail us out and, and the bullpen can lock it down. And, and that's what Jeremy Hellickson's been able to do. And same with Gio and Tanner. Um, and, and even more so, you know, they're actually going out. With, I think Tanner, you know, yes, Mark Reynolds had a huge home run on Saturday, but I, I think Tanner definitely deserved that win and you can argue he won that game for us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Mark Reynolds and kind of gets me on to my next point. With some of the Nationals now rehabbing, Murphy, Goodwin and Matt Grace all went to Harrisburg starting yesterday. 
Madsen and Zimmerman might not be far behind, potentially not even needing a rehab assignment. Uh, and it begs the question, how is the playing time going to play out? Because Defoe's been doing well at second. You've got Adams and Mark Reynolds locking down first base and excelling, I guess. Uh, where does that leave guys like Zimmerman, maybe Brian Goodwin in the outfield as well with Soto and Taylor doing well? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. David's, David Martinez is going to have um... – that's not good. It's a, it's a good problem to have, you know, having too many good players to play. Um, Dusty Baker always said that too the past couple of years. Uh, but it's going to be interesting how he plays with it. I, the thing is, you know, once guys like uh, Murphy and Zim get back, they're not going to play every day right away. So it's, you know, Adams uh, and Mark Reynolds are still going to get their, their time and their playing time. They'll start and, you know, obviously with the three games coming up in Baltimore, they'll be able to DH too. So that's going to help. Um, and, you know, Defoe is is a great piece off the bench, too. He, we've seen that in the past. You know, he's been Daniel Murphy's backup pretty much all of last season. So, and you know they're not going to play Daniel Murphy every single day because it is a leg injury. It is, it is his knee. Um, David Martinez said he was happy that uh, Murphy was able to run first to third the other day in his rehab assignment. But, you know, they're going to take it easy on him once he's back. I mean, they're not going to bring him back unless he's – totally ready to play, but even then he's not going to play every day. So defense will still get his time. It's kind of further down the line once they get more acclimated to playing every day and you can finally get back in the full swing of things, so to speak, um, that you probably see Defoe and um, and guys like uh, Goodwin when he's back um, and uh, who else, you know, well, and Matt Adams and Mark Reynolds, we'll see their playing time kind of decrease. But also what I think David Martinez has learned you know, when he was with guys like a Joe Madden and what we saw from Dusty Baker the past couple of years, these veteran guys, they can't play every day anyways, even when they're fully healthy. So you're going to need them for the long stretch run in September and into October. So they're still going to play plenty. Um, it's not going to be every day like they are right now, obviously, but they're still going to get their PT. And um, I think it's going to be helpful for them because they'll still be able to, you know, have their rhythm and playing and they will be useful pieces down the stretch. And it could be more important than ever this year, like, because the NL East might be closer than it has been ever for the Nationals when they won the division. So they might play meaningful games late into September, right before the October playoff run. So you're going to need these pieces to come in to pinch hit, to pinch run, um, to play defense. And um, so they're getting their experience right now. And uh, I yes, when these big names come back, they won't play as much, but they'll still play a role on this team. Yeah, I think uh, a bit like Dusty Baker, he's got to start getting creative with people. I think uh, Mark Reynolds actually played some time in left field when he was down in Syracuse. So I wonder if we might see some of that. But uh, I think the keys to it will be, will Soto get enough playing time to keep him in the majors? They might send him down to AAA to make sure he's playing regularly. Uh, again, I think that depends on his performance, though. And if he doesn't slow down, you can't not have him on the major league roster. Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to compare uh, Juan Soto with Victor Robles. Obviously, Victor Robles is hurt, but they're the two guys that all offseason, Mike Rizzo said, were untouchable, and we're seeing now why. I mean, he's a very good young player um, that's going to be a key piece for this team in the future. Um, but at the same time, he, Mike Rizzo is going to want him to play every day, like he said with Victor Robles. When breaking camp, Victor Robles, by all accounts, should have made the big league roster – but he wouldn't have played every day. So that's why he started at AAA. When uh, Adam Eaton and Brian Goodwin are ready to come back, there's just not going to be a spot for Juan Soto. And it's nothing that Juan Soto is going to have done or, you know, it's not going to be his fault. It's just the way it is. He's 19 years old. They want him to play every day to continue to develop. Uh, yes, he's playing phenomenal right now. I think he had another two doubles today against the Marlins. But, you know, 
he's still 19 years old. He's still really raw. He's got a great swing, plays solid defense. He almost misjudged the ball today, I feel like. He jumped up and made a catch. But, yeah, Mike Rizzo's going to want him to play every day. Um, and also, you know, with Victor Robles hurt, obviously he probably will play with uh, AAA because, you know, they're going to need another outfielder with, with Robles out. So, uh, unfortunately, it's just the way that, the way it is. Juan Soto's probably not going to get a lot of play T. But back to Mark Reynolds, too. Um, I think Byron Kerr from MassInSports.com today reported that Mark Reynolds was taking grounders at third base today, even though before uh, before the game, or it might have been yesterday on Saturday, um, even though he's played he's played a lot of third base, but he was playing first base. Um, so that key could even be a piece to give a guy like Anthony Rendon a day off every now and then. So, yeah, a lot of key pieces. Um, and we'll, this won't be, when Juan Soto goes back down, it's not going to be the last time we see him. He'll be a September call-up. He's going to play back on this roster, and he'll play. He'll have a role to play. Um, and hopefully Victor Robles, too, if he can get back healthy in time. Yeah, I think one potential scenario I could see is Soto temporarily going down while they ease Adam Eaton back in, and then when they feel that Adam Eaton's fully healthy, they might shift in the center field and play uh, kind of play the matchups. If it's a right-hander, get a lot of left-handers in there, give yeah. Michael Taylor a break. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, it's again, it's not a bad problem to have. They have options. They, they can do a lot of different things with this roster. And this is why we brought Michael, Mike Rizzo in to build this franchise from – the top to bottom you know they have a lot of good young pieces in place in the minor leagues and the farm system that they can bring up if needed and um, i expect them to to work that to the fullest extent when necessary and this is why you do it you know for, for injuries for deep playoff runs um and, and also to give these guys young major league experience you know this major league experience is invaluable for Juan Soto at this point 19 years old playing in the big leagues and playing against guys or with guys i'm sorry with like uh bryce harper learning about pitching from um you know, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, you know, talking with his teammates, Pedro Severino and Wilmer Defoe every day who've been up here for a long time. So it's, it's invaluable experience and we won't see the last of them. But yeah, the Nationals have options in terms of all these great players that they can put out there. Hmm. Uh, so moving on to the Orioles series, uh, so far they're bottom of the AO East. 17 and 35 joint worst record in baseball, I think, at the moment. Yeah, uh, not too great <laughs> up in Baltimore at the time. Uh, and I think you mentioned it on uh, your All Access podcast. The the problem hasn't been the pitching as much. It's been that the offense has just completely disappeared so far. Yeah, it's it's I, I, like I said on the podcast we did. Uh, I do a Paul Mancano Mass on All Access podcast uh, every week. We had Sarah Perlman on the show on Friday, and you know if you as I said, you know if you had told me at the beginning of the season that at this point the Orioles would be this bad, but it would be a lot, in large part because of the hitting. I wouldn't believe you because that's been the Orioles staple for the past in this Buck Showalter era, let's call it. Um, they've been able to hit. They mash. Um, they hit a lot of home runs. They struck out a lot, yes, but they hit a lot of home runs. They're never. I always said they're never out of a game because they can score runs in bunches. Um, but for whatever this reason, for whatever reason, this year it's just not coming together. Um, the only bright spot would be Manny Machado, obviously having a career year. He's dominating the trade talk headlines, um, and, and you know he's. Along with Bryce Harper, it's crazy. We have the two biggest free agents of, of this of, in baseball right here in our area. Um, but he's a huge free agency name, so he's going to be a big name tossed around as we get closer to July. Um, but, yeah, uh, the pitching hasn't been great. Don't get me wrong. It's, but we, it's kind of what we expected it to be um, in a sense. So, yeah, the bats haven't come alive. Um, they have only really like exploded for runs. I think like once. I think they beat the Royals like seventeen to one a while back in their last homestand. But other than that, it's been the struggle. And guys like Chris Davis are really struggling. Um, 
Adam Jones and Mark Trumbo, actually another two two guys that have been playing well. But Jonathan Scope spent a lot of time on the disabled list. He's still trying to get back into it. Tim Beckham is on the 60-day DL. Uh, Trey Mancini, he can hit for pop, um, and he's playing okay. But he also got banged up for a little bit. So, yeah, it's been a struggle up in Baltimore. And, and fans are frustrated. It's frustrating. But, uh, you know, it's a buckshot Walter team to give their all. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Mm. Uh, so in their recent series with the Tampa Bay Rays, they won 2 nothing on Friday. David Hess, who we're going to see this series through a four-hit gem. Uh, and then in the other two games, I think the, the weird bullpen thing that they're doing in Tampa stole the show. So Anthony Bander came out uh, in game two and dominated. And then in the 8-3 loss today, they had probably the most bizarre pitching configuration in a while. They had Sergio Romo throw a third of an inning, then they had uh, I can't remember who it was, throw three innings, and then they had a pitcher throw five and two-thirds to finish off the game. I'd be, I'd be impressed. Uh, it was the weirdest <laughs> thing. I, I was impressed that you remember all those names because I'm trying to. I'm watching the Nationals game, also following along the Orioles game with my phone, and I'm, I can't keep track of all these pitchers. And as a person who covers the team and, and works it, it's very frustrating because now I have to keep track of them, but then also we're going to so many commercial breaks. I mean, talk about pace of play. We're doing all this pitching changing within the first three outs of the game. I mean, come on. Like, this is unbelievable. And also, I mean, it's no dis- – I don't think – the Rays were going to do this regardless, but it's just annoying that they picked the Orioles to do it because it's like, you know, this team isn't that – like you said, tied for the worst record in all of baseball. This team isn't playing that well, so why do you feel necessary to do all of this? Yes, you have some rotation injuries, but I don't know. It was – it's an interesting concept. We also talked about it on the podcast, um, you know, the reason why they did it, how it could work out. I'll, I'll, I'll say after three games of it, I'm not a big fan. Um, I would be interested to see if they keep doing it. Uh, if they, I'll be interested to do see if they do it on the road because that's when they're going to hear the boo birds. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a bizarre series. Um, too bad they couldn't win uh, uh, two out of three. But uh, yeah, they play. Hopefully, they'll play better at home when they get back here. I mean, I guess it is against the Nationals, but then they got the Yankees for four games, so we'll see if they can get it going. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rough stretch coming up for the Orioles. So. Uh, I think we touched on it before, obviously. Manny Machado's having the career year, 327 average, 15 homers, 44 RBIs. I kind of wanted to not go in too much, but I think when he's the one star on the team performing up to it, what do you see going forward? I think uh, John Heyman actually released an article today saying that the Orioles may not even trade Machado. that really realistic? I, You know what? I, as both a... Uh... Uh, a member who covers the team and and a, and a fan, I think it is kind of realistic. There's a chance. I'll, I'm saying there's a chance that the Orioles don't trade him. Look, the whole thing with Dan Duquette and 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 the front office is that you know it's going to take the right price, and that's the thing about trades. People always forget it's a two way street. You know, it has to be the right price for both sides. You can't just say trade trade Manny Machado. Well, what are you getting back in return? You know, it has to be worth it. You know, Manny Machado is one of the best players in all of baseball, maybe one of the best defenders in all of baseball too. So you have to get something in return that's worth giving up that kind of talent level. Um, and if they don't find the right price, they're not going to do it. And that's just the way that it is. And so I, I would, if you were going to ask me right now, I would expect them to trade Manny Machado, but I wouldn't be that surprised if they don't. Um, and the only reason that would be, that would be so is if they think they have a legit shot at re-signing him this offseason. And now with every passing day and every game they lose, that probably gets more and more unlikely. But if they think they have a shot, they're going to keep them. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one. And I think the Orioles need to find some leverage for somewhere. He is one of the best players in baseball. And 
you need to get a fair price for him. You need to get at least one blue chip prospect out of it. Yeah, definitely. And that's what the Orioles need. I mean, their farm system hasn't been the best as of late. They're getting better. I think this year's rankings is probably one of their best. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head where they rank, but it's one of their best overall rankings they've gotten in a long time. Um, and that's what they're going to ask. They're going to, they're going to wait. If he's going to get traded, it's going to be closer to July 31st. That's just the way it is because right now you don't, there's no real market for him in that, you know, everyone knows he's kind of on the table. So they're not going to be that desperate to give up a blue chip prospect or, or their top prospect or the top pitching, whatever it is. So, you know, they're good. If the Orioles are going to do it, they're going to hold off closer to the trade deadline and hope and find a team that's desperate for a power bat or, or shortstop play or both, you know, and who has a legit shot at making a run at the world series. He's going to go to one of those teams like a Chicago and LA. Those are probably two head. Those are the two obvious headliners right now. Um, but yeah, they're going to wait until then. And those are two teams that have young talent on their farm system that they could, you know, pick from. So uh, it's going to take the right price and it's going to take a lot um, and for them to do it. And like, like I said, I expect them to do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if they don't. Hmm. Yeah, they've got quite a few contracts. It's fine. They've got Zach Britton, Brad Brack, Adam Jones, Chris Tillman, Pedro Alvarez, Danny Valencia, the ones that I noted down. Uh, how many of them do you think will go? I think Britton and Brock would be a nice match for the Nets, but whether Peter Angelos um, and the friction there allows for that is another matter. Well, remember, we, Zach Britton was a talk about one of the closers that the Nationals should go after a couple of years ago. Um, and it actually might have been 2016 when the Orioles ended up making the wild card uh, game. Um, but the problem with Zach Britton is he's hurt. And he, he hasn't played pitched yet this season. He's nearing – he's on a rehab assignment. He's with the AAA Norfolk Tides. Um, um, and he's – you know, Buck Showalter has told reporters this weekend that they have a schedule for him. They have an idea of when he's coming back. They're not releasing that yet, but he's, he's close to it. The problem is, yes, he's in a contract year, but he's been hurt. So is he going to have enough time between when he gets back, probably early June and the end of July to – and also keep in mind there's a week off there with the all-star break to show that he's healthy and show that he can still pitch. So it, that's two, two completely different things too. One, you have to be healthy to at least get on the field. And then two, you have to be able to produce like Zach Britton can. I personally believe that when Zach Britton is on his game and he's healthy and he's pitching like he can, he's the best closer in all of baseball. His, his slider is just so unbelievably ridiculous and, and cannot be touched by anybody. Um, and so he's going to command a lot of money or command a big price as a trade chip. It's just a matter of can he do it when he gets on on the mound. Brad Brock is, is a name yeah, I think you're right. Is people have his, their, their eye on, but he's been struggling this year. He's kind of getting it together as of late, but he had a rough start to the season. Um, if he can get it together, yes, that's a possibility. I would say a name to keep a closer eye on would be Richard Blyer, um, who is having an incredible start this season. He I think his ERA is around 170 or I think one, under 180 right now. Um, and he's been pitching phenomenal. He's a left-handed guy. He's the kind of a guy that I would think would fit the Nats better because he's a left hand, he's a lefty. So, you know, we talked about how much Sammy Solis has been worked this season. The Nationals' only other lefty, really reliable lefty in the bullpen would be Doolittle, and he's the closer. So, if you can get middle inning relief lefty who you can play matchups with, that's going to be key in the postseason. But then again, everyone knows the Orioles and the Nationals don't really make deals with each other. So, that's <laughs> another obstacle you have to jump once you get there. Yeah, I think it's uh. It's a tricky one, and I personally, I would love to have Britton or Brack, but I think there's a bit too much there. Um, I, I would be afraid. So my thing is that with Britton too is I would be afraid. Like, I mean, we're almost to June, and he's just getting on a mound and pitching in actual games. 
I would be afraid of his one health and two, can he, his stuff and his durability, can he stay and be productive? Like was, what if you make this big trade and get him um, for a stretch run, but then he either gets re-injured or just starts, you know, wearing out because he didn't have a proper spring training. His arm isn't built up the way he's used to it and he kind of burns out and then you're kind of just stuck with him. Um, I, I think Zach Britton is also one where he's been very vocal that he really likes Baltimore. It's the only team he knows. Uh, his family has lived here. They love it. Um, the team loves him. He's very thankful for all the opportunities he's gotten from the Orioles and the Angeles family. It could be one of those situations where if, you know, he's not pitching that well or he can't get together, then the Orioles might hold on to him and see if they can re-sign to not a pillow contract, but maybe a, a friendly contract in the offseason and, and keep him around because – He's a major part in that bullpen, and, and he's a fan favorite, and he, he likes the team, he likes the city. So it could be a good fit for him to stick around. It's just a, a tough, tricky situation that you get injured in your contract year. Yeah, it, it feels like he's either going to re-up with the Orioles potentially a one-year with like a player option, like we saw Matt Wheaters have to try and go get a bigger contract, or someone takes a home run swing on him, hoping for, for Zach Britton of old. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, here's another situation, Blake, I want to throw out to you with this uh, trade talk with the Orioles because everyone knows they're probably going to be sellers. We don't really know. It's hard to predict what Dan Duquette's going to do, but that's what everyone thinks. But you can always think of, well, maybe they kind of pull a Yankees and Oraldis Chapman kind of deal where they trade them away, get big players, and then go after them in the offseason, um, either Manny. Because if Manny, you know, He's still going to be a free agent at the offseason um, unless he, whichever team he gets traded to, he he's able to sign some ridiculous extension or whatever. That could also play a part of it, obviously, too. But, you know, it could be a situation where, hey, you know, we're going to trade you away, but we would also love to be able to pursue you in the offseason or further down the line. You know, let us get situated with our, you know, fix our problems, get our pitching. Because I think Andrew Kashner and Alex Cobb are, are the right guys for this rotation. They just had bad starts to the season because they didn't have full spring trainings. So another scenario where pulls that was like, yes, yeah, we trade them away, but then we pursue them in the offseason to try to re-sign them in a long extension or maybe after next year, something like that. Yeah, there is some there is some good young pitching coming through in Baltimore, a lot, obviously, to go along with Cobb and Kashner. And I think I've got my eye on Dylan Bundy, who's actually done quite well. We had um, nine innings, 13 strikeouts in his last start, and he's really upped his strikeouts for nine. I think the Nats face him on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, is he someone to watch? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, uh, when we're, I was going to hold off when we are talking about the pitching prospects, but we can do that. Uh, I'm sorry, the pitching matchups, but we can do that a little later too. But yeah, I mean, he had a he had a horrible two stretch, or actually it might have been three even stretch outing where he was giving up at least seven runs an outing, and then it kind of cum, cum, uh, came together uh, with an outing against the Royals where he didn't even get an out. He let up seven runs, um, I think, on four home runs against the Royals, and they had a yanking without recording an out in the first inning. But ever since then, he's been back to the Dylan Bundy that we know. He's in those three starts since. He's got like an ERA under 280, I believe. And in his last outing, like you said, he recorded 14 strikeouts against the White Sox. So he's getting back on track after those that rough stretch. Um, and, and he's when he's on, he's sneaky one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. I think he doesn't get the attention that he deserves because he is in Baltimore and the Orioles are that bad. Um, but he had a great start to the season, then that weird stretch, and then now he's kind of back on track. Um, and he likes pitching at home too. So Dylan Bundy is a guy to keep an eye out on um, this series. I, I think if the Orioles are going to win a game against the Nationals this year or in this series this week, it's going to be the one that Dylan Bundy pitches. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, are there any nationals that you think could have a potentially big series? I think they're sending four right-handers to the men. So maybe someone like Matt Adams. Yeah, Matt Adams can definitely. I mean, again, with the DH, Matt Adams and Mark Reynolds are going to play, um, whether they're switching off at first base, left field, and, and the DH. Um, yeah, I would expect one of them. And also, it's Camden Yards, hitter-friendly park. Um, you know, they can mash the ball. It's it's getting warm here in the DMV area. So uh, you, the ball could fly out, especially tomorrow. If it's hot and humid, the ball could be flying out of the yard. So they could have big nights um, against against these guys. Uh Cobb has been struggling, so I would I would look out for him, um, um, for guys going up against him too. Um, but against Bundy, yeah, one of the big power guys, um, and even maybe one of the young guys like uh, like a one with Defoe or Michael A. Taylor. Like we said, you know, he's had a great week. If maybe Michael A. Taylor can keep it going and, and get like a fastball down the middle and crank it out of the yard. So keep an eye for the big bats against these guys because the Orioles pitching is kind of like they're they're um, they're they're hitting their bats where they're kind of prone to the long ball, but they can get you out too if they're on their game. And, and with Camden Yards, you know, who knows? The ball, the ball could be out in a, in, a, in, a quick, in a quick gif. Yeah, especially in a day game on Monday, and that transitions us nicely to looking ahead to the pitching matchups. Yeah. Almost, almost planned. Um, on Monday at 105 Eastern, we've got Gio Gonzalez against Alex Cobb. Gio Gonzalez 5-2 and two with a... Two three eight ERA and Alex Cobb one and six with a seven three two ERA. He's kind of turned it around a little bit, as you say. He missed spring training. I think he had a thirteen ERA in April. So is he slowly getting better? Uh, yeah, uh, it's tough. Um, it's one of the yeah with Alex Cobb. It's a, it's one of those things where you know you just wish he would have signed earlier in the spring than when he did. He signed I think a week or two before opening day or maybe even sooner. So, you know, had he got a full spring training under his belt, it's tough to have a, to be your spring training to be actual games that count, you know, in, in, in the major leagues. And that's what Alex Cobb is going through right now. He's shown flashes of being back to the Alex Cobb that we knew when he was in Tampa. But then again, then he'll, he'll have a, a rough night, like I think he did the other night, and it's just like, okay, we're not really making that much progress here. Um, I would think Gio can, can go toe-to-toe to Alex Cobb and actually have a, even a better night. The only problem with Gio on Monday on, on Memorial Day is that he actually traditionally does not go well against the Orioles. The Orioles, for, for whatever reason, hit him really well. So I think he's only win. I think he's like one in six in his career against the Birds, and that one that one win came back in two thousand nine. So that's I would if you're asking me to pick between the two, I would pick Gio and the Nats to win that game, uh, just because Alex Cobb is, has still not found it, so to speak. But um, keep an eye out for Gio because. The, the O's mash him for whatever reason. Yeah, I think, like you say, he's 1-6 with a 4-4-0 ERA against the Orioles. But I I do think the Nats can get the Alex Cobb. They've got some power lefties in there, and he's um, he's allowing lefties to hit 452 against him, which is definitely not pretty. Nope, it's not pretty, and that but that could be a great sign for uh, the, uh, of, uh, what's his name, oh, Bryce Harper. Um, <laughs> because, he, like we said, he's been struggling. He had a monster home run at Marlins Park today on Sunday. And had a huge hit down the line um, on Friday night, but I think he went 0 for 4 on Saturday. So, you know, he's kind of he's leading the National League in home runs, but he's not really hitting that well for average. Maybe he can knock around Alex Cobb a little bit on Monday and, and kind of find his swing. Also, again with a hot day. Yeah, I think his batting average on balls in play is still under 200. But yeah, he has a couple game stretch where he looks locked in, like he did today and did on Friday. But then he has an out in like Saturday where he strikes out all four times. 
Yeah, Dan Coco, I think, mentioned on Twitter today, like no matter if Bryce Harper is slumping or not, he's always a threat to take you deep. He's just too good of a hitter. He's just too strong to not. Um, and I think he actually does like hitting. Pre- I think he does hit pretty well at Camden Yards. If I do, I, watch out for the the warehouse because he could hit. He could hit Utah Street if if, it's, if the temperature is right and he gets the right pitch. That ball could land pretty close to the warehouse out there in right field. He could probably hit it back to Nats Park from there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Just bash all the way down to ninety five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Ivan Nats winning this one seven to four. Obviously, day game starting to get warm. I think the runs fly, especially against Alex Cobb. And it'll be nice to see Gio kind of maybe exercise those demons against the birds. Yeah. Uh, and then on Tuesday, it's former Oriole Jeremy Hellickson against Dylan Bundy. Hellickson 1-0 with a 2-1-3 ERA and Dylan Bundy 3-6 and with a 4-4-5 ERA. But obviously, Hellickson didn't have a great time at Camden Yards when he was there last season. 2-6 and six with a 6-9-7 ERA. So what, what was the key to his struggles, I guess? Uh, you know, it was... Just... I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you because he came over and everyone was it, it was one of those trades where it was like, okay, I mean, he could help, but is it really as much as we really need right now? And then he didn't do as much. I, I just don't think he ever just found a rhythm and in, in, in with the O's last year. It maybe it just wasn't the, the right fit, the right mesh. Um, uh, I don't think he pitched too well at Camden Yards. He just never got it going. It, it was – it was kind of frustrating to see because, you know, that was the Orioles, besides Tim Beckham, that was the Orioles, like, one move to make a pitching change last year when they had a great August um, and it looked like they could maybe make a run at the playoffs and then had a terrible September, and Jeremy Hudson did not really help in that September. Um, so, but he's been pitching well this season for the Nats. I mean, he took a perfect game into the seventh inning, that one outing, and um, like I said earlier, he's just he's being the guy to go out there and keep them in the game and, and even on the occasion win them the game. Um, which is nice to see. Um, it, it's funny with this series, you know, we don't have the marquee pitching matchup um, like a, a Bundy versus Scherzer or a Kevin Gosman versus Steven Strasburg, uh, who both pitched today. But each pitching matchup kind of has its own little unique story. Like the Geo doesn't play well against the Orioles. Alex Cobb is the big offseason acquisition uh, from the O's who hasn't pitched well. Now, Hellickson, who pitched for the Orioles last year, didn't play, pitch too well goes down 295 to DC and is pitching pretty good. And O's fans are like, wait, what? Um, and uh, so, you know, the only problem is he's going against Dylan Bundy. Like I said, Bundy is kind of getting his things back together after a tough stretch. Um, I think Helixson, while I would expect him to continue and pitch well, I think Bundy can overpower him and, and, and the O's bats might come alive. And and it could not, I'm not saying it could be ugly, but I, I think the O's can win Tuesday night pretty easily. Yeah, I, I think I've got the Orioles winning that one. I think uh, I think what, looking at some of the stats, he was actually undone a bit by the home run when he was with Baltimore, and he's brought that down a bit. But maybe in in Camden Yards, if it's uh, hot in the evening, he might give up a couple. And he hasn't been going that deep. It would be nice to see him go six, maybe seven innings if it's a blowout. But I don't think that's going to be. This is going to be the game to extend him. Yeah, well, you never know. Because again, you know. We keep expecting the Orioles to to mash, you know, hit four or five home runs a game, and I think they've only done it like once. So you, maybe maybe it's just a, a down year for those, and, and Jeremy Alexson is able to sit them down. Yeah, and like I said before, I'm really interested to see what Bundy can do against this lineup. Yeah, yeah, Bundy's always fun. To, I mean, he's he's the pitcher that when he's on, he's the pitcher that the Orioles envisioned him being when they drafted him and and um, rehabbing him through his Tommy John surgeries and. He had a great season last year. I think he wore down a little bit late in the season. 
um, and he had a great start to this year. Um, he's their ace. He, you know, he is their guy to go to guy um, when they need him to be. And uh, I, th I would expect Bill Bundy to continue and have a good night on on Tuesday night against the Nats. Would you take Bundy over Gosman as the ace? Yes, I would. I would. Uh, Gosman, um, I think when they're both pitching at their best, Bundy's a little better. Um, Gosman, you know, he 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 gets off the slow starts. He does not pitch well in the first half for whatever reason and then pitch well in the second half, and he just hasn't been consistent end-to-end. -end. Bundy, we saw last year, had, can be consistent throughout the season. He just got worn down. Um, and, you know, there's maybe you could argue, you know, he hasn't pitched a full season in major leagues just yet, or, you know, they were relying too much on him to, to win games because the pitching staff was so bad. Um, but I, I think wire-to-wire -wire, overall when they're on their best, Bundy is better than Gosman. Not saying that Gosman isn't great. He's a good pitcher when he's on. He just isn't as consistent and has gets off the sluggish starts, uh, unlike Bundy. And then uh, to wrap up the series, going the, going back to aces on teams, we've got Max Scherzer facing off against David Hess. Max Scherzer, 8-1, 2-1-3 RA. David Hess, 2-1 with a 4-1-5 ERA. So I'm pretty sure a lot of Nats fans wouldn't have heard of David Hess. I hadn't until a couple of weeks ago. What's he been like this for this season for the Orioles? He's been a bright spot uh, uh, for the O's. I mean, he's kind of um, a guy came out of nowhere particularly. I mean, with Chris Tillman on the disabled list, he was the kind of guy who they called up to, to give a shot and let him see what he can do. And, and he's taken it and ran with it. Uh, I think it was six and two thirds scoreless innings his last time out. Um, he's been a real bright spot for this O's rotation. He earned this this start. This will be his third consecutive start in this in this rotation, and he earned it. And I think Buck Showalter has noticed it. He's he's proven it. Um, and he's Buck has gone out and said like he you know we're we're sticking with him because he, he he deserves it. He's pitching really well. Um, and he's been a he's a big kid. Um, and I think that's he's a big powerful pitcher. So I think that's what what he's got going for him. Problem is he's going up against Max Scherzer. So I'm gonna take Max in this one, and nothing against David Hess. It's just the two-time NL back-to-back -back Cy Young Award defending pitcher. I, it's just hard not to pick Max. And the other thing about Max is you don't want to poke the bear. Um, not saying that the Orioles did, but like we talked about earlier, Max didn't have his best outing on Friday. I would expect Max to come in pretty focused, pretty set on on having a good night. I would be scared, and I would be scared of Max having a good a good outing. And the Orioles lineup is kind of like his you know do or die lineup. Because like they strike out a lot, so he could have like a 15 strikeout game, or they could mash him and hit the long ball, and you know have like four or five home runs. So that'll be interesting. But I would expect Max to come out and and, and dominate because just because of his last start. Yeah, I don't think you're the first person on this podcast to say, well, it's nothing against our pitcher, but we're facing Max Scherzer. So. <laughs> right, right, yeah, no, I mean, I, I I would expect David has to pitch well too. I mean, he has been well. He hasn't shown no signs of not being able to to go out and perform at the major league level as of yet. So I would, I mean, the Nats is a tough lineup. Don't get me wrong, but I would expect him to pitch well. It's just, you're going to get some Max Scherzer um, and, and he, he could dominate. Yeah. I think the, the Nats lineup has been a bit hit and miss and I think it could be a potential miss, but when you've got Scherzer, you only need two or three runs. Yep. And that's and then the Nats have been able to do that as of late with this little stretch. Um, they did in the Tanner war game. They were able to push across a couple runs um, whether it is a solo home run or, you know, playing small ball. Um, uh, when they need to, they've been playing well, and when they need to get some runs across the board, they've, they've been able to do it. So, yeah, uh, it could be one of those nights where Max is dominant and, you know, the, those, or, excuse me, the Nationals win like 2 nothing or 2-1, to one, something like that.
Yeah, I think I have three to one. But yeah, um, I like your point on Max Scherzer wanting to have a bounce back. He, um, I think he's only had three Nats outings where he's had less strikeouts. So yeah, we're going to get the full teeth gritted, profanity shouting Max Scherzer. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I, uh, you know, he's just one of those guys you don't want to face him after a rough start or a bad game. You know, he's kind of like, kind of like New England Patriots. You know, when they have a a loss or a bad game, you don't want to be the team that faces them next because you know they're coming laser focused and prepared and ready to go. And he's Max is the same way on the mound. It wasn't even that bad of a game, but for Max standards, it was four runs and in seven innings. He, even though he got the win, he wasn't probably too happy about that. Um, and I would expect him to be really locked in on, on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I think especially so. if they split the first two games and the Nats need to win the game to win the series. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, you touched on he could rack up the strikeouts against a K-Happy Orioles team. Yeah, yeah. It, it, could, it could be really pretty for Nats fans and really ugly for O's fans, or it could be the complete opposite. So Wednesday's going to be interesting. Like I said, every it's not we don't have any marquee matchups. We have pretty interesting storylines in each in each of these matchups uh, and pitching-wise. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that just about wraps up. I want to say thanks to Bobby for joining me today. Uh, I'm pretty sure a few of our listeners will have uh, we'll already know where to find you, but where can the ones who don't find you? Uh, at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. Um, the Mass and All Access podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud. Uh, yeah, please give us a, a, su- a subscribe, um, a rate and review, and follow along. Um, we love doing it. It's a lot of fun. Paul Mancano, who you see on Mass and All Access with Sarah Perman a lot. Um, it's, a good, uh, it's a good time. And we have full coverage of the Beltway series coming up. Uh, we're going live. Uh, from Camden Yards tomorrow morning, Monday morning at uh, I think 9:30 um, on Facebook Live. So please tune into that. We got uh, series preview and a special little report on the Manny Machado and Bryce Harper situations going forward. And we'll have uh, live coverage before each game of this series from uh, from Camden Yards. So yeah, t- uh, tune in and stick around. It's, it's gonna be a fun week. Be busy, but it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I yeah the I definitely recommend the All Access podcast for. Uh, the preview to the Beltway series, even if it did get a bit weird at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all about fun. I mean, we have fun with it. You know, it's it's just a good time. I mean, Paul and I like to goof around, and uh, we like going to work every day because it's it's fun with Sarah and our coworker Olivia. Our interns do a really good job. It, it's it's a lot of fun, and you know, we just like to keep it lighthearted and mess around. And you also catch that podcast episode on on the Mass and All Access Facebook page. We put up a little video package together, which is which is pretty cool. Mm. So, yeah, uh, remember to check out some of our content this week. Uh, our newest contributor, Monty, wrote about how similar Mark Reynolds and former national Adam Dunn are. Uh, and then yesterday I put up an interview with Nats prospect Will Crow, who, again, dominated today over six innings. So I'm definitely taking the credit for that performance. <laughs> uh, uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. You can follow this podcast on Spreaker and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play and get the episodes downloaded automatically. We'll be back on Wednesday before a huge top of the NOE series against the Atlanta Braves. So we'll see you then.